and showed that you can go out in the middle of nowhere and reach people. And um, his son is now pastoring the church that uh, he pastored for years and years. And uh, the work goes on. The work continues. Uh, it's, it's something to do uh, something for a little while. That's one thing. Do something for a while, but then to do it for your lifetime and then to pass it on. And those that come after you continue to do it. Amen. That speaks to the genuineness of the man and of his life and testimony. And uh, that his faith is multi-generational. Both he and Miss Rhonda Brown. Miss Rhonda, uh, uh, Mrs. Brown was a, a, a widow and Dr. Brown was a widower. And God brought them in for... Uh, another round, amen, of Christian service, amen, and God is using them, and uh, Dr. Brown is still preaching the way he's always preached, amen, he pulls no punches, he uh, preaches the truth, you get easily offended, take a nap, uh, but uh, anyway, but uh, Dr. Brown is passionate for the Lord, and passionate for the work of the Lord, and is a passionate preacher, and I get stirred up, and i blessed when he preaches, and um, we love him, we love him. And he's one of our favorites around here. So, Dr. Brown, come and preach to us tonight. Love you, sir. Thank you, my brother. My brother, take your Bibles and turn to Psalms 146. Psalms 146 in your Bibles. Find your place. And we're going to be into the message pretty quick here now. When it comes to preaching, someone has said, Blessed is he that can get airborne without much runway. And so that's what we're going to try to do tonight. Uh, get right into the message. I'll simply say I'm glad to be here. It's a wonderful thing to be under the spout where the glory comes out. It's a wonderful thing to be in a church that's alive without the jump and the jive. Say amen right there. And I'm glad you stuck with the old-time way also. I'm glad, of course, my sister can be with us. Uh, I only have one sibling, uh, Joan Davis, uh, 40-some years, an uh, independent Baptist preacher's wife. He went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. And uh, Joan, whenever we get in the area, she'll jump in and travel with us. And we about worn her out this week. We preached in the Carolinas here. We, we preached in Virginia. And we've taken in some sites up in Virginia. We've kept her away from home for six days and brought her back. She just just be glad to have some relief when we're gone. We're flying out tomorrow. Uh, but we, we love Joan. Always glad when she can go along. Of course, Rhonda is with me. Rhonda's always with me. And I tell preachers, if Rhonda don't come, I don't come. That's just the way it is. And, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Rhonda is wonderful. She's perfect. And, uh, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, just ask me. I'll tell you, she's perfect. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to be in love at any age, especially at our age, and it's better with us than it's ever been before in our entire life. We're happier than a raccoon in the cornfield with the hound dogs tied right now, and I am glad to be. And by the way, we've got another great grandchild since we saw you last time. That makes 10 children and 43 grandchildren, and it's still climbing, still where around and around they go and where they stop, nobody will know, And uh, but it's a wonderful thing. And you know, uh, by the way, from our children, uh, most of them, I was there when they were born, right in the delivery room. You know, this is the first generation that daddy's got to go in the delivery room. Uh, the generation before this, they were not allowed in the delivery room. It was unthinkable for a father to be in the place where his child was born. Only the doctors and physicians were allowed there. And uh, my dad had no idea uh, whether I would be a boy or a girl or whether I'd even be alive or what was going to happen until the doctor walked out and announced that to him. And that's the way it was with everybody in those days. I heard an interesting story of a large city and a large hospital and a large baby delivery department and uh, several men waiting for the verdict on their wives to see what had happened in that uh, uh, the delivery room and several delivery rooms. And all of a sudden the door opened and a doctor walked out and said to a man, congratulations, your wife just gave birth to twins. Whoa, twins! He said, I can't believe it. She'd been reading the book, the uh, the Tale of Two Cities. And, and honest to goodness, I, I, listen, I just, we, we talked about it. We said, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if you gave birth to twins after reading The Tale of Two Cities? About that time, the door opened. Another doctor walked out and said to the second man, congratulations, your wife just gave birth to triplets. He said, triplets? She's been reading The Three Musketeers. I can't believe this. And we had this joke going. It said, what if she gave birth to triplets after um, reading The Three Musketeers? About that time, the door opened again, and another doctor walked out, and the third fellow jumped up and started running out. And the doctor said, hold it, wait, where are you going? He said, I don't know, but I got to go somewhere. My wife's been reading The Birth of a Nation. I got to get out of here. And uh, 
But anyway, um, we have not been reading the birth of a nation, but we got a thing started. We can't get stopped, friend. And I'll tell you what, uh, 10 children and 43 grandchildren, you ought to try that at Christmas time and see how you come out on that. I'm open to Psalms chapter 146, please. 146 and verse number 5. And uh, let's read this verse together. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. And lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. I feel some preaching coming on right now. Uh, the big wheel about to get tangled up with the little wheel, and we're going to have a time. Here we go. One verse. Oh, I'm going to quote many verses, but I'll just read one to you, and we'll have prayer and get right into the message here. Psalms chapter number 146 and verse number 5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. I lift one little phrase from that verse, and that is the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. That term, the God of Jacob, is found 25 times in your King James Bible. Just that little phrase, the God of Jacob. Adam was the only perfect man that ever walked planet earth except our Lord Jesus Christ. And even he fell into sin, but he was perfect. Uh, and all through his life, he's the progenitor of the entire race. But not one time in your King James Bible is the term the God of Adam found in the Bible. Enoch was so close to God that he was not for God took him and he had experienced a premature rapture and was just taken up to heaven bodily. Uh, I mean, an Old Testament rapture. That's how close to God he was, but not one time in your King James Bible does the Bible mention the phrase, the God of Enoch. Melchizedek was so close to God that even Abraham paid tithes to him, but not one time in your King James Bible do you read the phrase, the God of Melchizedek. Noah saved the entire human race by finding grace in the eyes of the Lord and prayed and God told him how to build an ark and uh, the human race was preserved because of that one man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord but not one time in your King James Bible does the term the God of Noah found. Job was the greatest of all the men in the east and suffered like no man has ever suffered and set a record no man has ever matched to my knowledge but not one time in your King James Bible do you find the phrase the God of Job. Elisha had twice the power of Elijah, twice the miracles, twice the power, and twice the evidence of God's uh, Holy Spirit coming down upon him, but not one time in the Bible does the Bible mention the God of Elijah. But 25 times the Bible mentions the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. I'm going to tell you how it's found. Let's have prayer, and I'll let you be seated. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful thing to be under the spout where the glory comes out. What a wonderful thing to be in high cotton and deep clover, to enjoy the presence of the Lord, to feel that God is here and know that God is here because we bid him come and we ask him to come, and it looks like he showed up, and just appearance that he showed up, the wonderful choir that sang the special music, uh, the fellowship we had, the shaking hands time, the time to give together and love together and be together. Oh, dear God, I thank you for this faithful pastor and his wife and family who've labored so long and wonderful here and stayed by the stuff and didn't change anything and kept it like it was and stuck with old time religion. I pray, oh God, that you'll bless this church and ministry tonight. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. The God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. 25 times in your King James Bible, the God of Jacob is mentioned. And by the way, that's not all. Look how it is mentioned. Psalms 20 verse 1, the Lord hear thee in the day of trouble, the God of Jacob defend thee. Psalms, 1, Psalms 46 verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 75 9, I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Psalms 81 one, make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Psalms 114 7, tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 3, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Exodus chapter 4 verse 5, the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And then in our, here in our text, Psalms 146 verse number 5, happy is the man that hath the God of Jacob for his help. The God of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the God of glorifying the God of Jacob. Now, what's going on here? What is going on? What is happening? The strange thing about all of this is, though I have listed the superlatives of some of the greatest names in the Bible, 
When I mention the name of Jacob after studying the Bible, next year I'll celebrate 60 years of preaching. Next September, I will have been preaching since I was 18. I'll be 78. And I'll save you the math. That's 60 years of preaching. And, uh, and 60 years of preaching as of next year. And I'm telling you the truth. After all those years of preaching, all those years of studying the Bible, I cannot think of one superlative of Jacob. As a matter of fact, all I can think of is the negatives. That's all I ever remember reading or studying or preaching about or teaching about. I mean, the God of Jacob was, he was a liar. He stole the birthright from his father, stole it from his daddy and deceived, or stole it from his brother and deceived his daddy. He was given a wife, but he didn't like her and he went and got another one and she proved to be a headache and a heartache to him as long as he lived. He lived in a state of backsliddenness. He refused to be comforted when they came and told him his son was dead instead of trusting God when his son was alive after all. He gave a rotten testimony to Pharaoh when he said, Few and evil have been my days and not attained to the days of the life of my fathers in their pilgrimage. His very name meant supplanter. He lived his life in a state of backsliddenness. And when, uh, when, when the Lord told him, said, you got to get out of here. You got to go back to the place of dedication, the place where I appeared to you. His whole family had to change their clothes and change their ways and change their habits and change everything to even go up to the house of God. I cannot think of one, not one superlative of the God of Jacob. And yet over and over and over again, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob defend thee. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Pray and thank, praise uh, the God of Jacob over and over and over again. And one day this hit me and it dawned on me and I had to find an answer. I had to find it and I think I found the answer and I believe you'll see it tonight as we look at it. And uh, if you'll turn to the book of Genesis chapter 28, I'm going to begin to show you here uh, something about the God of Jacob. Now while you're finding Genesis 28, I remind you that the context of the scripture I'm about to read to you is when Jacob had stole the birthright from his brother and lied to his elderly father at the suggestion of his own mother, Rebecca. She had taught him to lie. She had taught him to be deceptive. I mean, it was genetic. It was a part of him. She had taught him that and uh, told him how to lie and how to cheat and how to deceive his father and how to steal from his brother. That was her suggestion. She told him how to do that. And so he ran for his life to keep his brother from killing him and to keep his brother from putting him to death for what he had done to him. And as he was running for his life on the way over to his mother's brother Laban's house, he got weary and he laid down. He went, and he went to sleep. He was not praying. He was not dedicating his life to God. He was not yielding to God. He was not repentant for what he had done. There's no evidence he was sorry for what he had done. And he, he was just in a state of backsliddenness. And in that state of backsliddenness, here's something amazing happened uh, in Genesis 28. And verse number 12, and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Did you ever in all of your life hear of such a blessing just all of a sudden dumped on a fellow? Now notice verse 16. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. I had no idea God was around here anywhere. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't anticipating God. He didn't have faith in God. He wasn't requesting anything of God. He wasn't surrendering to God. He wasn't dedicating himself to God. But God just showed up. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And God just showed up. Now, I know you're still waiting for the answer, but the answer was just before you. To somebody unworthy, God just showed up. Amen. He was the God that could show up to people that were goofballs. He was the God that could show up to people that had dropped the ball. He's the God that could show up to people that were not as dedicated as they should be. He was the God that showed up to people that, that uh, had already bombed out in life, that already messed up. 
that didn't have it, that, that, uh, that it's laid the stage for a future destruction in life, and God just showed up. The God of Jacob is the God that just shows up to you when you're not expecting it and you're not praying for it and you're not anticipating it and you don't think it. God just backed his truck up and unloaded on Jacob. And Jacob woke up and said, God was in this place. I had no idea God was around here. And I'm telling you what's the truth. I'm speaking to people all over this room and you see a different type of people. These are the dedicated people, the sold out people, the surrendered people, the people, whether they be laymen or whether they be in the ministry, you see them up here here and you're not measuring up to that but I tell you right now there is a God in heaven called the God of Jacob and he wants to meet with you and he wants to deal with you and he wants to awaken you and he wants to meet you where you are and bless you where you are and be to you where you look I worked a bus route at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown in my young days before I went to Iowa. 50 years ago, two weeks ago. Been 50 years ago, two weeks ago, I started a church in Washington, Iowa. I'm still within five minutes of that church. I'm a faithful member there, and I go every time. Rhonda and I go every time that we're home, which is not too much. I'll promise you that. And, uh, but, but we go. But anyway, <clears throat> I was working a bus route for Gospel Light Baptist Church, and I was going down Glen High Road, <clears throat> over there, uh, going down to High Point where my bus route started, and uh, going down Glen Hyde Road, we came to Union Cross there on Highway 311, and uh, right on the right was the Union Cross Moravian Church. And it was a beautiful, large Moravian church. You can always tell the Moravian churches because they got the, uh, the arch dome over the doorway. That's their mark, one of their marks. And uh, so there was this big, beautiful church. I never met the pastor. I'd see him out there at times. Well, one day, <clears throat> the pastor was out in his yard, and a fellow backed a truck up in the driveway. And uh, just an obvious delivery man, had his coveralls on. And uh, he backed the truck up, and he said, well, I and this pastor walked out to him, and he said, uh, uh, what can I do for you, sir? He said, well, I came to deliver your tractor. He said, we didn't order one. He said, well, I'm delivering your tractor. He said, it's not ours. He said, sir, I don't buy them, and I don't sell them. I just deliver them. And they told me to deliver this tractor here. He said, sir, look, you got the wrong address. Oh, we could use a machine like that, but we, this is thousands of dollars way out of our budget. We could not do that. He said, look, I'm told to deliver this tractor to this address. Is this your name? Yes, sir, it is. Is this address? Yes, it is. Well, that's where I'm told to deliver this tractor. And he said, look, I can't pay for it. He said, don't have to. It's already paid for. And I'm told to deliver this tractor. He said, sir, look, if you deliver, if you unload that tractor, you're going to have to come back and load it back. It's not ours. We didn't buy it. We didn't pay for it. It don't belong to us. I paid no attention to him. Just backed that tractor right down off that trailer, those two ramps, and, uh, and, and, and turned it off. I mean, a big machine, a 60-inch cut, a machine that you can put all the other implements on it. You can plow your garden, do a whole lot of things with it. You can scoop snow in the wintertime. And so, anyway, pastor just professed. Uh, protesting profusely, and this, uh, this delivery man paying no attention in this world to him, and when he got it all, he lifted his ramps back up in the truck, and he turned around, and he took his sunglasses off and said, can't a friend do something for a friend? And it was Andy Griffith. It was Andy Griffith of Andy Griffith fame, 48 miles from where he was born. I've been to his home in, uh, up here in Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is synonymous with Mayberry. All of you know. You're close enough. You're familiar with that. He had gone with this man to college, one of the colleges they had attended in years past, and he thought about him, and he just wanted to deliver something to be a help and a blessing to him. He just backed his truck. Did you ever have God just back? Look, Andy Griffin never backed his truck up in my driveway, but I'm going to tell you, God has backed his truck up in my driveway several times. Hey, did you ever? I I've got two Two daughters live here in North Carolina. One of them lives in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, three hours from here. She and her husband pastor the great uh, Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, run about four or 500, doing a great job for God. And uh, Jeremy Coburnett, I don't know if you know Jeremy. And uh, then the other one is Sarah. She's married to Mark Leone, who is assistant pastor at the Woodland Baptist Church, north of Winston-Salem. Brother Tim Gammons, great independent Baptist church. They had 1,400 last Sunday. I preached there last week. A great and wonderful church. And and uh, Sarah told me this story this summer. She said, uh, we, the children wanted to raise some money for camp. Uh, they have two children, <clears throat> only two. 
they have uh, uh, Brooke uh, is 11 and Mason, is, Brooke is 9 and Mason is 11. And uh, she said they wanted to raise money for camp. So she said, well, you, we're not going to give you the money. You're going to raise the money. You're going to make your own money to go to camp. That's a good, a good thing for children to do, you know. And she said, uh, uh, you want to make some money? Uh, why don't you just sell some cookies and lemonade and set up and it's hot and people need lemonade? Oh, they agreed and they went to work and baked some cookies and got some lemonade. And a, and a friend across the street had agreed to let them set up on a corner there in King, North Carolina, right near where they live. Uh, and uh, so they took their little truck and pulled up there and unloaded a table, one little table, and a cloth over the table. And they brought the cookies out and set them on the table. And then they brought the lemonade out in the and whatever they needed and set up and just waited for the public to flood to them. <clears throat> but nobody came. Uh, and at the end, and it was two hours, they, she said we were out there from 2.30 to 4.30 and it was hot. And it was, it got hot. that's the hottest time in the afternoon. And it got hot. It got real hot. And she said, we're not doing anything, doing anything hardly at all, uh, not much happening. And she said, I looked at them and I felt so sorry for those two little ones standing there waiting for somebody to buy their cookies and buy their lemonade, finally to have mercy on them. Finally, she said, children, uh, you know, we're melting. It's time to go. We, uh, we'll, we'll try it another day. And, of course, she was disappointed for the children, and the children were disappointed. So they had, they had a little truck, a little older Toyota pickup, and she said, back the truck up there and was getting ready to fold the cloth up. And all of a sudden, somebody from a, across the street says, hey, don't move that. I want some of that. She called him a kid. Well, he was old enough to drive and he was filling the pickup up with gas at a station right across the street, and his daddy was in the truck. So he pulled around, and the boy got out, and he said, raising money for something? And they said, yeah, we, we want to go to camp. We want to go to church camp. And so we're selling cookies and lemonade. He gave each one of them $20. Well, the daddy who was in the truck heard what they said. He got out. He said, want to go to camp, huh? They said, yeah. He gave each one of them $100 and then gave each one of them $20 for spending money. Sarah said, before we could get that truck loaded and get out of there, we had $478. I said, Sarah, forget the camp. Go to Hawaii. I mean, you've done knocked a hole in the bottom of heaven and can't plug it. And I'm telling you, God, backed his truck up? Did you ever have God just back his truck up in your life when you didn't know it and you didn't deserve it and you didn't pray for it and you didn't have faith for it and you weren't worthy of it but God just backed his truck up in your life. That's the God of Jacob. Boy, I tell you what I'd do if I was you. This puts no limit on dedication and excelling in the Christian life. But I just right now call on the God of Jacob. Blessed is he that hath a God of Jacob uh, for his resurrection. He's the God that shows up to the unworthy. He's the God that shows up to the people that don't have all the great faith you hear everybody else has got. He's the God that, don't, uh, that shows up to people that are introverts and don't have talent and, and don't have what others have seemingly to do what others do. But yet he shows up. The God of Jacob just shows up, and God of Jacob wants to show up to you, and the God of Jacob shows up. You know, 21 years ago, I got cancer. Everybody thought I was going to die. My sister's here tonight. She thought I was going to die. My wife thought I was going to die. My church thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. Everybody thought I was going to die but God. And, um, I mean, they, they, they took sample. They said, it's cancer, and it has spread. Uh, they said, here's the picture of the polyp and the cancer is full of cancer and the cancer's gone beyond the edge it has spread. We know it's spread. We know it's there. We don't know how much. We don't know whether it's doable or not. It was colon cancer. And they said, but if you got a chance to live, we got to go in and get it. So they cut me open like a watermelon. And uh, I got a nurse in my church uh, and she came by. She was head nurse. She came by the operating room while they were operating on me. She said, Pastor, they had a table slid up to your side this way. And she said they had everything below your heart and lungs, all your intestines, all of it laid out on the table. And they were just going through it like this, see what they could find. They were looking for that cancer. Did you know they're still looking for it? Did you know there was not a germ of cancer there? Not a germ, nothing. They didn't even recommend radiation or chemo because they said there's nothing to radiate. We can't find, they, that, and so they were so sure it had to be there they took out six inches of my colon and said, excuse me, and, uh, and, and sent it off to the lab, just sure that it had to be some cancer when they, when they examined it under the microscope, but they could not find one thing. The God of Jacob had just showed up in my life. 
a year and four months ago, the doctors told my sister sitting in front of me, says, you have cancer, you got colon cancer. It's a five-inch mass, and you have no chance to live unless we operate, but we don't like to operate on people as light as you. She weighed 80 pounds, less than 80 pounds at the time, and uh, they said, we don't like to operate on people as light as you are, but we've got to because you don't have a chance to live. And my sister asked the doctor, she said, that was a year and four months ago, says, how long do I have to live? And they said, a year, a year. And of course, what he indicated was things would be getting real bad before that year was up. Um, it's, that's been, she was supposed to have been dead four months ago, and uh, she's still blessed and still doing well. Now, she may be dead in 30 days, and I may be dead in 30 days, and neither she nor I have faith to believe for sure that all of that cancer is gone. We don't know that at all. All we know is the God of Jacob has shown up! Blessed her. And they told her, you're going to have to wear the bag for the rest of your life and, uh, you know, and all that and, and may not come off the operating table and may not survive the surgery. So she just said, you know, I'm going to live till I die, but I'm going to live happy till I die and I'm going to live feeling good till I die. And she got on a health regiment and she is not depending on that health regiment one bit to keep her alive. Ask her. Ask her. She says, it is God who's keeping me alive. It is God who's keeping me alive. Now, I'm going to tell you what. It doesn't matter whether you go the chemo route, the radiation route, uh, the, the surgery route, or the uh, Australian, Australian bean juice route from uh, the island of Gooby Jooby or whatever. It, it doesn't matter what you do. If God doesn't back his truck up in your life, you're a goner. God backed his truck up. You know, God wants to back his truck up in your life. God wants to back his truck up in your children's lives. I'm thinking now, a little boy down yonder in, in, um, in Dallas, Texas, and his daddy and mama was a mess. His daddy was a drunk. He wasn't a mean man until he was drinking, but when he got to drinking, oh, he was an awful, awful man. And this little boy said, I saw my daddy take his fist and hit my mama in the face, knock her across her room. She, her teeth had rotted out of her head. It looked like chunks of coal sticking in her gums and said, I saw her with blood draping out of her mouth, crawling across the floor saying, Happy, why did you do this? Why? You treat me like you do. He said, finally, Mama caught him with a woman there in the house, and that was the end of the marriage. He said, I remember when come my birthday, Mama would send me around the corner where Daddy was in the bar drinking and drunk and said, did somebody go in and say, your son's out here? He said, he'd come out and hand me $5. He said he wasn't a mean man until he got to drinking, but when he got to drinking, he was bad news. And uh, a little fellow's nerves was all different. Even when he was older, he would sit in church, and the pastor would say, uh, you need to Take your son out. Your son, he said, I get to crying. I couldn't stop crying. Little nerves all to pieces, like you would expect any child to be that had to look at things like that and see things like that. And then poor, oh, poor, he said, my mama. He said, my mother would go house to house sometime and holding me in her arms and hold out my little hand and say, if you'll put a quarter in that hand so I can buy my son some food. I promise I won't put a bite of that in my mouth. Not in my mouth. And that little fella out of a background like that went to church one night. Well, excuse me, it was one morning, one Sunday morning. He said, I walked into the class and I had no shoes. And all the other little boys in the class had shoes. And he said, when I walked in, the teacher, a Mrs. Bethel, picked me up and set me on her lap and said, what's your name? He said, I just looked up. I didn't tell her nothing. She found out his name was Jackie. And she says, boys and girls, this morning we've got a visitor, and his name's Jackie. And she, he said she looked down at me, and she said, Jackie, I want you to know this morning Jesus loves you. And he said, I looked up, and I said, do you think he loves me as much as the little boys that's got shoes? She said, Jackie, if anything, I think he loves you more. And I heard him say, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. Honestly, I don't know what happened. But when she said that, something happened in my life. And God looked down from heaven on one among thousands of little boys like that that have grown up in a tragic situation. And God backed his truck up and unloaded on that little fella 
We called him Jackie. We didn't call him Jackie. His mama called him Jackie. But we called him Dr. Jack Hiles, um, who birthed, formed the great First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. Oh, it's a wonderful thing when God just backs his truck up, when God can do great and wonderful things. Uh, wonderful things, and God wants to do wonderful things for your family. God wants to do wonderful things for you. You say, not me. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not rated with these other people. I, uh, wait a minute. The God of Jacob is the God that is for most of us. See, most of us aren't Noah. Most of us is not Melchizedek or Enoch, or Adam, or Moses, or Job, or Elisha. Most of us, most of us are people that just some way in life have dropped the ball. But the God of Jacob wants to show up and bless us. The God of Jacob, the God of Jacob that shows up to the unworthy. The God of Jacob is the God. Here's another one. Turn to Genesis 32, real quickly. Genesis 32. And in Genesis 32, and verse number 6, I want you to notice here. Now, Jacob lied to his elderly father to steal the birthright from his brother, who, by the way, was his twin brother. And when that happened, all of a sudden, his brother was going to kill him. His mother knew it, and his mother told Jacob, Jacob, you better take off because your brother's going to kill you. So I'm telling you what, I want you to go over to my brother Layman's house. And on the way over there, of course, he had this experience with God. But in Genesis 32 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. Now this is several years later. He has never seen his brother since that day. He has never seen his brother since he left home. He has never seen his brother since he stole the birthright from his brother. He's never heard from him. They have never talked. There were no cell phones and phones, period. So he had had no communication with him. And I'm sure he laid down at night thinking, I wonder if my brother still wants to kill me. All of a sudden, one of his servants, Jacob's servants, comes to him and says, we found your brother. He's coming to see you, and he's got 400 men with him. That doesn't sound like a happy birthday party, does it? I mean, it doesn't. And, and, and Jacob knew that death was imminent. And he knew trouble was there. And the Bible says in verse 24 of the same chapter, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled with him a man until the breaking of day. And the Bible says that when he saw he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go. For the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now stop right there. The angel that was in heaven wrestled with him in prayer. And Jacob said, No, you can't go. You can't leave me. I've got to have God. He was desperate. It was life or death. Do you know when you can have God in your life? When you've got to. When you've got to. And Jacob knew this is life or death. I've got to. I've got to have God in my life. And so the angel said something strange and unusual. He didn't say, well, why don't you tell him that you're a liar? And why don't you tell him that you stole from your brother? And why don't you tell him you deceived your elderly father? And why don't you tell him that you weren't happy with the wife God gave you and you went and got another, which proved to be a headache and a heartache to you to your death? Why don't you tell him that? God didn't say anything like that. Here's what the angel said. What's your name? What is your name? And he had to answer that question. His name meant supplanter. And when he said, my name is Jacob, he realized, I can't have just another reformation. I can't just have another confession. I just cannot have just another rededication. I've got to be changed. I've got to be changed. I can't be the same person anymore. I mean, I've, I've got, it's got to be different. I, I mean, it's just got to be, I must have God. It was genetic in his very personality. He was a conniver, a deceiver. He was always looking for a plan, always uh, pulling some kind of deal on somebody. Always. A liar, a cheater. It's in his blood. It's in his personality. You have, you've heard people say, well, that's just the way I am. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. That's just the way I did. And that was Jacob's problem. That's just the way he was. It was his personality. It was his very character. It was, in the, it was genetic. It was in his bloodline. It was in, it, it was in his life. And God said, what's your name? And he had to answer that question.
He had to answer that question. And when he answered that question, he made it in mission to God, I need more than just another confession. I need, a, I, need, I need a reformation. I need to be changed. I need to be changed. What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. You see, I'm speaking to people all over this room, and you run the same cycle over and over again. And I'm glad that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's just a re repeat over and over again. And you're coming back to the same person doing the same things all the time. And that's the cycle of your life and that's the way you live. But God has a question for you tonight. What is your name? What does your name mean? What does your name mean? Does your name mean selfish? Does your name mean wary? You talk, come down here and sing about faith in God, but you go home and worry yourself sick. Is your name lethargic? You absolutely do nothing for God, nothing for anybody that's worth talking about. Is your name evil thoughts? Is your name temper? Is your name, you know what? I'm thinking here uh, of some men who need their names changed. Your children have heard how you spoke to their mother this week. Your children have witnessed your temper and temperament. And I'm speaking to women here. And your daughter has seen you be an old shrew this week. And yet you come here to church and get in the choir. Oh, how I love Jesus. That don't go too well. It won't be long. Those children will be out yonder somewhere in sin. Oh, God, why? It's not fair. Yeah, because you were an ungodly hypocrite. Oh, but I confess my sins. Yeah, you stayed in that cycle, didn't you? You just kept confessing your sins. But you need to be changed. You say, what do you mean changed? I mean, 1 Samuel 10, 6, the Spirit of the Lord shall come upon thee, and thou shalt be turned into another man. I love that. Boy, that does something for me. And it was so in 1 Samuel 10, 9, and it was so that God gave him another heart. And, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became another man. Isn't it wonderful that you, th you think about you could become somebody tonight that you'd never been before? Isn't that wonderful? Now, I've got you in deep thought tonight and I'm glad. I love amens and I love shout, but I'm glad you're not shouting on this one. I'm glad that you're thinking. When your name is called, look, if we could have people one by one get up across the auditorium, say, give me your name, give me your name. When that name was called, different people would think different things. What does your name mean? As we had we come across here, teenagers and young people, you stand up, my name's so-and-so, all the other young people, certain things hit their mind. Certain things hit their mind. That's who they are. And you can mess up and confess up and get it right with God, which is wonderful. But we need to take that further. The youth group needs to see somebody that changed. Somebody who confessed what their name really was. What is your name? What is your name? You say, well, you know, okay, so I snapped at my wife. But if you knew her faults, if you were in love with her, you would not know her faults. You would not know her faults. My wife, my wife keeps telling all the women, I've got just as many sins as the next woman down the line, but he's just in love with me, and he can't see it, and I intend to keep him that way. <laughs> and she does a good job keeping me that way, and I kid you not, I don't lie, especially on Sunday night, and I'm telling you the honest truth, I do not see one thing wrong with that woman. To me, she's, I told my sister that she, in private, I said, Joan, honest to goodness, that I don't, Rhonda is perfect. I don't see anything. If I knew I could push a button, change anything in the world I wanted to about that woman, I don't have a clue. She's the world's greatest housekeeper, the world's greatest cook, the world's greatest traveler, the world's greatest encourager, the world's greatest lover, the world's greatest, you name it. I mean, she's the greatest of all the great, and she's absolutely perfect, and I mean that because I love her, and I cannot see one thing wrong with her. Sir, your problem is not your wife's fault. Your problem is you need to get back in love with her. And lady, it's the same with you toward your husband. What is your name? Well, if you knew how he acted, if you were in love with him, you wouldn't see anything but good actions. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is a coverer. Love makes everything right when everything's not right. Love covers faults that all of us have. We need the God of Jacob.
Because we're not worthy and we do fail and we do mess up. But I am, God have mercy on any woman here who has a husband that's not in love with her. Because all of your faults are just glaring all the time. God have mercy on any man here whose wife is not in love with him because, listen, we all have as many faults as fleas on a dog's back. That's the honest truth. And you know that. And I know that. But our loved ones can't see it if they love us. And I tell you, you you need to quit praying, God, change my husband, help him to see this and help him to do that. Hey, stop it. Shut up. Just shut up. And I'm Larry Brown, and I approve of this message. Just shut up. Why don't you just start praying, oh, God, help me to fall in love with that man. Help me to fall in love with that man. You did love him. You did love him one time. That's the reason you married him. She did love you, sir. She did love you before she went down into the jaws of death to bring your little children into this world. She did love you, and she didn't have near the superlatives then that she does now. If you was in love with her now as you were then, she'd be more the woman that you fell in love with and loved back then. What is your name? You need your name changed. Well, I'm thinking of a problem I had. And I'll just tell you, it was temper. I got it honest. My daddy, my dad's the best man in the world. He, he lost his temper. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. And his daddy was saying, well, he got it from his daddy and he got it from his daddy. I'd go back four generations. When I got married the first, first time, 51 years ago, my wife didn't know that. About a, uh, a year after we were married, I lost my temper. I won't go into the details of how. You'd laugh if I told you, but I lost my temper. I got mad at her. I didn't hit her. I didn't cuss. I thought about it, but I didn't. I was a preacher. I just started the church, Marion Avenue. We, we went to Washington Island and started the church about a year, year and a half after we got married. And I lost my temper. I didn't hit her. I didn't cuss. But I said some things I should have never said in a way that I should have never said them. And she started crying, of course. Made me feel good, actually, that she cried. I was sitting on the side of the road. I just pulled over and unloaded on her. I started that car and pulled out on the road. And I've never heard God talk out loud. But as real as if he had a, seemed like the Lord said to me, yeah, no use for you to just confess again. No use for you to say, well, honey, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. You need to be changed. You need to become another man. And I'll never forget that day. We just started the church, started with four men and their wives. That day, the Lord, as good as said to me, I'll never use you. You'll never build a church. You'll never be a blessing to people. You'll never win a lot of people to God. You'll never have a happy marriage. You won't raise good children. I will never use you until you become another man. And I went home that day, and I won't tell you all that I did, but my wife lived with me 39 years after that. We raised seven children. I'll give you the telephone number of any of them you want. And you can call them up, and they'll say, never heard my daddy raise his voice. The most. Pastor of the same church, 38 years. You can call any of my church members, and uh, they'll tell you, never saw our pastor lose his temper. It's not because the innate problem is not there. It's simply because the God of Jacob changed my name. And I, I knew I couldn't just confess. I knew I couldn't just say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I knew I couldn't say, honey, I lost my temper. Please forgive me. Okay, that, well, I did. But I, that wasn't enough. Then she would have to wait till next week, till I lost it again, or next month. And I'm speaking to people all over this room. You're excusing yourself. And you're saying, well, I confess my sins. I told her I was sorry. And next week you'll tell her again you're sorry. And next week you'll tell her again you're sorry. Do you know what you, are, you become then? Just sorry. That's all. 
And God in heaven wants to change your name. I mean, thank God, people come to the altar tonight and you confess your sins and I'm glad. But hey, we've got to have a transformation. You know what the Lord said to Peter? Uh, Peter was about to curse and swear and deny the Lord. And you know what the Lord said to Peter? He said, uh, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee. And here's what he said, when thou art converted. He didn't say when you confess your sins and get right. He said when you're converted, when you become somebody you've never been, when you're transformed into that person that can glorify me, when the old things have died and you have, you've yielded to me so that you've become another person, you don't have to confess that sin or temper anymore because you, you haven't displayed it and you don't use it anymore. And God gives you grace and you've changed into another woman, another teenager, another man, another daddy, another husband, another grandparent. God changes your name. Boy, when that happens, You'd have never heard my name. You'd have never heard my name if that day I hadn't just said, God, I can't confess just again. I've got to have more than that. God, you've got to help me. Oh, God, you've got to make somebody out of me. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and I became another man. And God wants to change you into another man. Oh, listen, what is your name? What is your name? What is your name? And I was thinking today, some things are behind me now. But, you know, I was thinking today, I was recalling some things about my spirit and my nature and my habit. And I said, Lord, all that needs to change. It's not this me saying, Lord, forgive me now. I was, uh, I, I was a little quick with the tongue on that or a little quick with the tongue. It's not that. Oh, I do that. And I need to do that. And I will do that. Or I can walk with God. But I need more than that. And I'm asking God to transform me again to make not about the past. Thank God some things are in the past. But I need him to transform me, for me again. I'd like for the beauty of Jesus to be seen in my life in these last days that I have like never before in my whole life. I'd like to, me I'd like to enjoy a measure of God's power and spirit upon me like I've never known before in my life. And I'm unworthy, as unworthy as Jacob was. But the God of Jacob can back his truck up in my life, and I'm asking him to, and I wonder how many of you need to ask him to. Aren't you tired of who you are? Aren't you sick of standing in front of me? Hey, how about some of you that haven't even passed a track out in 30 days or talked to anybody about the Lord? How about you that say, well, I gave to missions. I support. well, I give to missions too, and I think you should give to missions. But this week, uh, every week of our life. This week, uh, I'm, I'm uh, in a certain place, and there's two young people. The Holy Spirit of God, just out in public, the Holy Spirit of God says they're lost. I went and talked to them, just as wide open eyed. One of them, their daddy was sitting across the driveway in a pickup truck listening to what I was saying. I didn't know it. If I'd have been known it, I'd been a little intimidated by that. I didn't know it. He was listening intently to what I was telling his eight-year-old daughter. Then there was another older one there. And he was waiting on an older child to get out of school there, one of his own. And I went, led both of those to the Lord. And then I walked over, and he said, those are my children. I want to thank you for talking to my children about the Lord. I said, well, thank you, sir. That's a good attitude to have. I assumed he was a Christian. And I said, I assume you know the Lord is your Savior. No, I don't have that settled yet, but I need to. And I talked to him, and right there in his truck, he received Christ as Savior. We were in a motel this week, and the maintenance man came to fix something in our room, a sharp, 30-ish looking fella, uh, real kind and, and uh, so polite, nice, clean-cut looking guy. And he came to the room. I'd called him, and uh, he came and he fixed uh, what needed to be fixed. And uh, my wife said, Larry, he's probably lost. You need to get out here and talk to him. And I said, well, honey, I'm in the shower. I can't come out and talk to him now. And she said, well, what am I going to do? I said, well, I don't know. I'll get out as quick as I can. Well, she's afraid he's going to leave, so she wanted him to the Lord herself. And he got saved. I've got a list here. I could read you a list every week. I got on the plane the other day, won a man to the Lord. Before I got on the plane, there was a man sitting there in the airport. My wife and I don't go soul winning very often. We just soul win as we go. We don't have, we can't go to church soul winning very rare. Sometime in our own church, we'll get back in time to catch soul winning during the middle of the week. And sometime, we're usually flying on Saturday, and sometimes we'll have a Saturday, we'll catch church soul winning. It's rare. We don't, we can't go soul winning too much with church. 
churches and groups because, because we're on the move, we're on the go, and we're, we're busy when it's happening. But we can so win as we go. We can win people as it go. Does it make any difference to you? Does it make any difference to you? If, and by the way, those that can go soul winning in this church and don't go soul winning, you probably don't win very many people to the Lord. Yeah. Now, if you can't go soul winning, if your schedule so you can't go with a church soul winning group, you can soul win as you go like we do, and you can win some people to the Lord. But I'm just simply saying, uh, you say, oh, but you know, I, boy, I go to a soul winning church. Well, that's not going to save anybody for your part, for your part. You say, well, I support a, a missionary in Africa. Let me tell you something. People in Africa don't go to hell number two while people in America go to hell number one. That's not the way it works. Aren't you tired of standing in front of the mirror and saying, I'm the goof off. I'm, I'm the person who's going to have blood on their hands when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the blood of lost people dripping off my hands. And that's you. And another thing, would you like to get your prayers answered? The Bible says that God will answer our prayers if we will win souls. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. The fruit that remains, you say, oh yeah, well, I, have, I have the fruit. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. No, you don't. that's not your fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. The fruit of a Christian, fruit of a Christian. Do you have any fruit? Must I go and empty-handed? Don't you get sick and tired of standing? How do you stand it? I, I don't know how you stand it. Every day they pass me by. You see them in the store. You see them at the gas pump. You see them. You see them down yonder on the street. You see them at the merchant's here. You see the, the utility van that comes by. I could stand here and tell you stories for the next hour that'll excite you to death about just people we ran across need to be saved. Yeah. Uh, they, they, our 50th anniversary was uh, two weeks ago, and Joseph, Joseph, my, who's my son and my pastor now, uh, Joseph, and boy, you're talking about a crowd. I think had a thousand there. And uh, Joseph uh, had the founding members record their testimonies in a professional studio in Cedar Rapids that records uh, speeches and all for presidents and vice presidents and corporate heads. And it's paid a lot of money for it. It's a big studio operation. And um, uh, they were waiting for me to go in, but they were having other, uh, we had four or five of our founding members there to give testimonies. And uh, I was waiting, and they have a makeup lady. She travels, she's international, travels, and she uh, puts things on men's bald heads to keep them from shining and things like that, you know, and puts powder on their face that you can't see, you can't see. And so she's powdering my nose and fixing me up, and I think, oh, Lord, this is terrible. But anyway, um, and uh, so here's this professional, and uh, so when she gets all done, uh, I found out her name was Michelle. I said, Michelle, let me ask you a question. Let me give you something to read here, a little gospel track. I wrote this. Well, thank you, sir. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if I asked you the question, do you know for sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Would you say you're 10% sure, 50%? What would you say? She said, well, I was raised Catholic, but I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you how you can know. That woman got saved. I'm talking about tears. I'm talking about she went in and sat down where they were recording. She said, I've never seen anything like this. Never been anything like this. God got a hold of that woman. And she goes, you see, we get intimidated. We think people of status and people of money and people of position and people of fame are hard. They're as easy as everybody else. Just nobody talks to them and nobody uh, approaches them, see. I got off my subject a little bit, but really I didn't, did I? Aren't you tired of standing in front of the mirror? Aren't you sick and tired of who you are? Wouldn't you like to become another person? The God of Jacob can make you that. The God of Jacob can change you. The God of Jacob can transform you. The God of Jacob, and when thou art, the God of Jacob can convert you. Amen. Totally converted. The God of Jacob. The God that shows up to the unworthy. The God of Jacob. The God who can transform you and change your name and change who you are. And the God of Jacob is the God that can orchestrate your salvation. Unusual thing about the God of Jacob. Turn to Romans 9 as quick as you can. Romans 9. <clears throat> and I want to show you something here. And I want you to hear me out. Romans chapter 9 and verse number 10. <clears throat> and while you're finding your place, I'll just point this out to you. That Jacob 
had God working in his life long before he was born. And I want you to notice in Romans 9, verse number 10. <clears throat> and not only this, but when Rebekah, this is Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, friend, no matter how you slice that, it's going to come up this way. The God of Jacob was working in Jacob's life before he was born to, to create favorable circumstances so he could be blessed. Now, don't let me scare you. You say, boy, you're bordering on hyper-Calvinism. Oh, no. Oh, no. They reached me too late to sell me the fact that Jesus died only for the elect. I read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I read in Hebrews that he tasted death for every man. I, I read in 1 John 1, he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You say, yeah, but, but when he places his Holy Spirit on somebody, they will be saved, and he only places his Holy Spirit on those that he wants to be saved. Stephen said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. I like what D.L. Moody said about that. He said, the whosoever wills are the elect. And the whosoever wants are the non-elect. So you can just pick whatever crowd you want to be in. And I'm telling you this right now, but in spite of that, there is an unseen hand to me that leads in ways I cannot see. And I look back in my life, God orchestrated everything, every good thing, my salvation and everything else. And he put it together. He put it together. And God, if you look back, haven't you come to the point in your Christian life to where you can look back and see the hand of God? In the first place, he let you be born in America. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved than by the name of Jesus. But where my daughter is in Tanzania, Africa, there's thousands of people never heard the name of Jesus. And there's no other way to be saved. Allah is not God, and you can't be saved by the name of Allah. No other name among men whereby we must be saved. Yeah. In the first place, God lets you be born in America. But there are millions of people that God has orchestrated their salvation, but even after that, they rejected it. Years ago, in World War II, 1940, 1941, during the German Blitz in London, bombs were falling, buildings were crashing, people were screaming and dying. And somebody heard a woman screaming. Way up yonder in the 10-story building, she looked out, and the building already got so hot that it was just beyond. And she felt the heat, and it was getting worse, and she looked out of a window, and the people looked up in horror as she looked out. I'm dying! Somebody help me! Little did she know, little did she know that somebody had already contacted the fire station. The engine had been revved up. The men had slid the pole. The ding of the bell as that old 1941 fire engine come roaring down the street of London. She had no idea. She had no idea that the provision for her physical salvation had already been made. In a little bit, that truck rolled up to the building. And they got out and shook their head, uh-uh, she's too far gone. Uh-uh, but they hear, could hear her screaming. And all of a sudden, one burly fireman, nobody knows why he did it. Nobody knows. But he said, put the ladder to the wall. And they did. And that big old burly fireman, with all the gear he could wear, started that slow climb up that ladder. And he climbed all the way up to that window where that woman had been screaming. And when he got there, when his head rose up above that seal and she saw him, here's what she did. No! 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 
And he said, ma'am, look, look, I can save you. I can, come here, I can help you. I, can, I know I can save you. I can get you down. Come. No! She, something happened. She was mentally deranged. Something went wrong. We don't know what. She, she, I guess her emotions just broke. Her nervous system just collapsed. But he said, ma'am, I can save you. I know I can. Come. come. And his hands outstretched like, no, no. It got so hot. He slowly made that trip down the ladder, step at a time. And there quietly stood his fellow fire workers. And when his foot hit the bottom rung, he stepped off and he turned. They said big old tears dropping off his cheeks. He said, I could have saved her. I could have saved her. I know I could have saved her. I know I could have, but she would not let me. She would not let me save her. I wonder how many people in this room throughout all eternity you'll see the lovely Lord Jesus with his nail-scarred hands and I orchestrated your salvation. I let you be born in America. I brought you to Bailey's Grove Baptist Church. I let you hear the gospel. I let you be with people that loved you and willing to take a Bible and show you how to be saved. I could have saved you. I orchestrated your salvation. I put it together. I wanted you. I wanted you. I wanted to save you, but you would not let me. The God of Jacob has done things in your life already, lost person, that is so wonderful to bring you to this night and to this point. I'm talking about the God of Jacob. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around.